Are you ready to do a very special Manushman? Yeah. Yes, we've got the um, the studio looks different, a little bit different. The yeah. smells are a little bit more vibrant. It is. You know, the air is a little cleaner. It is. It's a very special Manushman. We're going to focus on our studio wall segment, which uh, is something that uh, we can do. Yeah. And mainly we're doing it because I'm out of town. Right, and it's easy for us just to play some <laughs> clips of different things that we've done. But they're uh, good ones. Yeah. They're good ones. It's worth sticking around for because Minutia Men is up next. But first, listen to this other fine Opie show. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and my co-host, Luke Costable, each week for the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, the podcast where two regular car guys talk about, what else? Cars. We'll tell you about what we've seen on the roads, what's happening in the industry, and share some great stories about our experiences in the automotive world over the past several decades. We guarantee it'll be fun, informative, and entertaining. It's the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is Minutia Man with Rick and Dave. So you are going... To Lake Tahoe skiing. Yes. Right. Yes. So you're revisiting the hyperextended elbow. The right. Place and hyper- I have not been back. So Because the, of the hyperextended elbow. So just to tell our, our listeners who probably don't know this story. Oh, I think uh, I've told it six or seven times. But uh, I suffered a catastrophic hyperextended elbow. Yeah. Dave only uh, went skiing really once. <laughs> yeah. And I took him to... Lake Tahoe. We well, went to, we, well, and my, our, our wives were there. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was it was kind of a mismatched uh, situation mm-hmm. because Michelle is a good skier mm-hmm. and I'm a good skier, and Bridget was a considerably better beginner than I was. Too. She was a beginner, had never really skied yeah, before. But within and she twenty was minutes, like, she was circles around <laughs> right. you. She was Jean Claude. And then after like the second day, Dave yeah. discovered he had a, 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 a some sort of a fake elbow injury. <laughs> no, because he didn't want to go back on the mountain. So I fell, <laughs> and it was a little sore, and I went to the you know what the station the med station or yeah. whatever because yeah. i think you guys at that point had already left me uh, without question <laughs> right and so i go there and he looks at it and he goes well you know it looks okay but i guess it could be a hyperextended elbow and i just <laughs> latched onto the hyperextended elbow i'm like really so it's possible that that's a hyperextended elbow <laughs> what's what what's really funny is that moment was probably the closest to divorce that you and your wife have ever had because right. she we went up to the top of the hill that she said was an easy ride right. and it was a bl- and it was it, not it was like a run. quadruple black diamond and i and then she said i'll be right back i'm just gonna go check something out and she she skied through the trees <laughs> leaving you and me and and bridget at the top of this hill and so i had to ski down with you two nimrods and it was you were swearing. Like, I have never heard you swear. You were so pissed yeah. at her. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, I didn't ski. I just walked down the hill. I well, took the, at some point, you took your skis uh, off. Right, because yeah. it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was not, I mean, you're such a trooper. Well, you're and, such a trooper. And, and then it was, I remember the, what are they, the ski? What ski the, patrol? No, no, the cars the oh the chairlift the chairlift yeah. so you can called. see how, how much he loves <laughs> right. this and they were all like and I, people were like laughing at me oh, because yeah. they were hearing me swear oh, it's like yeah. you know suck yeah. it up <laughs> yeah yeah and and that was i'm gonna say 30. very creative swearing yeah. i heard combinations of words that i had never heard yeah. before i was it was in different languages i was speaking in tongues i yeah. was like 
So friends. think of me uh, on the hills uh, while we while we play this show. Um, and there's a lot of great stuff that I, uh, every week I send Dave a studio walls feature. And instead of picking one this week, I told him he could pick five. Wow, five, and they're all worth listening to. Uh, we call this feature studio walls. <laughs> Time now for Studio Walls. And the words of the prophets were written on the studio walls. Rick and Dave. So this week in uh, Rick and Dave history, mm-hmm. we interviewed a, uh, a lyricist who has been uh, nominated for Academy Awards. He's he's uh, one of the greats. His name oh, he's a huge deal. Glenn Slater is his name. Right. And he uh, worked with Alan Menken mm-hmm. in... Uh, uh, the Disney movies. Uh, he also worked with Andrew Lloyd Webber, right. who's celebrating a birthday, March twenty second. So we thought we'd uh, go back to that interview and pick out the part where he told us what uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber was really like. And he says he's a little misunderstood. Let's listen. Alan Menken, who you know, as you mentioned, has won every award in the book. Your other famous co- collaborator is Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. What a hack! Not too yeah, bad. You just work with hacks. <laughs> It's, I have to say, you know, working with probably the two greatest melody writers alive. Amazing. It's, it's amazing. Sort of a, yes, it's, I, I pinch myself constantly. Now, you wrote the sequel to uh, Phantom with him, uh, Love Never Dies, uh, other projects yes. too. Uh, you know, I want to know about that, but, but have you been following him on social media during the pandemic? I have. He's been just sort of showing everything. Isn't he's that fantastic. cool? I, I, yeah, he's posting yeah. all sorts of stuff. He's interacting with fans. He's playing songs from his house. Yeah, I always thought of him as kind of like this diva type, but he doesn't come off that way at all. No, you know, it's so interesting. He's he's one of the most misunderstood, like, major figures ever. I mean, people, people do think of him as sort of um, controlling and diva-like, but really he's just, he's a, he's one of these people that is, uh, obsessed with getting it right and constantly worried that it's not right. And okay. all of that behavior is just like the behavior of a guy who is just constantly rewriting and reworking and rethinking and trying to get people to get up to where he's trying to go and being frustrated that people aren't seeing where he's trying to go. And he's he's definitely a little bit misunderstood. So it's um, all it was, for the work is what you're saying. It's for the, the quality of the final product is what he's obsessed yeah. with. Yeah, and you know he's he does have a dual role in that he's usually the composer, but he also self produces. You know, through really useful group. Good point. So yeah. he's it's... got a composer hat on, and when he's got his composer hat on, he is a typical collaborator. He's fantastic to work with, and open to ideas. And there's a big flow of dialogue. I think the problem that people have, and where this image comes from, is when he puts on the other hat, the producer hat. Gotcha. He's not thinking as an artist, but he's thinking of the guy who has to pay the bills and figure out the schedules and make sure the marketing is working. And you probably and, don't have to deal with him in that regard very often at all. Um, not very often. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a, you know, I can understand where people get that from, but I think it's, you know, the tip of the iceberg and there's so much more going on under the surface. That's you know, behind the scenes with Andrew. Well, you know what I'd love to also with that Greg Slater interview was you are a songwriter and you, yeah. you and him started to, yeah, it's that was just, fun. It, you started getting into, you know, yeah, we'll have different to play that beats, some other yeah, time. different beats and whatever. Yeah, that was really, yeah, he, he's a great, and I, you know, I don't think I knew who he was before we interviewed him, but now I see his name right. all the time. Yeah, he is, he, he's done virtually, 
He's written the lyrics for virtually every it, Disney hit song. It's, there is. it's just amazing what he has done. Uh, so that was a thrill for me. Mm-hmm. And thanks for booking that. I really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Um, this, we're going to do kind of a musical theme here because okay. uh, a couple of other things. March 24th, 1975, the song Bad Time was released by Grand Funk Railroad. Now, that was a big hit in 75 and 76. In fact, I think uh, Mark Farner will tell us it was the song that had been played more than any other song on the radio that year. Mm -hmm. So you probably know that song. Um, Let's listen to uh, our our conversation about it because it takes a weird turn. I think I scratched off a scab Mm -hmm. when I asked him about this song, and he goes into a rant. That was the radio rant, right? He goes Uh, into a rant here that I did not see coming uh, at all. Uh, Let's play it here. This is Grand Funk Railroad's Mark Farner and me. Uh, All right. That's great. So I got one last Grand Funk question. We can get to uh, some of the other stuff here. But um, one of my favorites is Bad Time. And I know that uh, you wrote that song, too. Can you tell us how that one came? Was that a dream also? No, that was a reality check. I, uh, my, my first wife, I was married for like two years. And, uh, and my first wife was, uh, I'll just say, we were having some difficulties in our relationship and uh, you know I was gone and, and on the road and when I was gone away the cat would play and right. I so I made up my mind and uh, when I got back and I was I had heard some stories what have you but then a friend of mine that I trust with all my heart told me something and I said and I confronted and she didn't deny anything and I went in, I sat down at this little spinet piano, and as she is pissed off and threatening to put a 12-inch cast iron fry pan through my forehead, (laughs) (laughs) I'm in there writing, bad time to be in love, brother. And, And that song was played more than any other song in 1975. And it was for the very reason that we spoke of earlier. Uh, the people were still calling, and this is before they deregulated. And this is when radio was its best in the hands of patriotic American families. Yeah. There was moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas that had moral conscience over what our children were seeing and hearing. And right. that all disappeared in 95 under the Clinton administration you know i wrote a whole book about this uh i wrote a whole book of i'm i'm uh you know a a broadcaster uh, and that uh, deregulation in 1995 96 is the worst thing that ever happened to the media you are so correct 100 percent right on rick that was it man that was the straw yeah and we've been sliding down further and further because it gave our enemy the ability to lie to the masses, and they don't know the difference. They they watch and believe the television. That's where all this hatefulness comes from. People watch and believe that hateful crap, and yeah. they they adapt themselves to it. I don't know why, uh, but I I'm with you. That was the worst stroke against our country because that that took us that took the people out of the picture. It did. Yeah. You know, I did write a whole book mm-hmm. called Severance about this. And uh, he's right about this situation. But listening to that clip, and while I was talking to him, I couldn't tell 
which side yeah, yeah you know yeah, what i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, i still don't know <laughs> but yeah well i i wasn't here for that interview right, right. i think i did that one by myself and uh i mean i had i had heard it but then just hearing it again i'm like okay just stop yeah. i don't want i don't yeah. want Whenever I hear the word patriot now, it kind of <laughs> yeah, it right. kind of has a weird feel to it. I think he actually, I think he may play on our team. He might. Yeah, he might. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I prefer not to know. To be honest with you, <laughs> right? I'm perfectly fine yeah. not knowing. All right. So there's that's a, a fun musical story. Here's another one. Uh, March 25th, 1976, The Tubes, which is one of my favorite bands, mm-hmm. released the song "Don't Touch Me There." And we had a chance to interview Fee Wabel. So we just saw Fee Wabel in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah. He's uh, one of the stars of that movie. Right. Yeah. He's uh, one of the gods or right, whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. At the end. Yeah, we talked about that too. But this one is about Don't Touch Me There, which is a song, if you haven't heard, you need to look up because it is yeah, it's great. It is a song that, uh, you know, a teenage... A teenage Rick, uh, certainly. Yeah. It, it made an impact on me. Let's put it that way. And uh, I talked to Fee about it, and this is what he had to say. You were okay. my... I'll tell you the song that was my gateway drug to the to the tubes. Yeah. It was the song Don't Touch Me There. Oh, really? Wow. Which was the first song I ever heard from you guys. I was a, a freshman in college. Uh, it was a duet between you and a female, basically. Uh, well, you know what right. the song was about. Um, yeah, restyles, yes. <laughs> yeah. He wrote it. Right? The smell of burning and, leather. <laughs> right. It, and and it was uh, it was written by a, a girl named Jane Dornacker, who was part of the two two bets that you know our 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 four girl uh, featured. Uh, strippers, pretty much. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, uh, that I mean, we and we used to do the tune. You know, we used to do it. You know, it obviously it was the whole thing is kind of a piss take, and and don't touch me there. And we used to do. Uh, you know, there was the kneecap. Ah. You know, and we would do. We used to originally. We used to do. Uh, Gosh, they used to let us drive a motorcycle, a real motorcycle, onto the stage to do that number. Amazing. And we would go, we were on tour, and and the the production manager guy would, you know, find out ahead of time. He'd call some ex-Hells Angel guy and say, hey, can we use your, your, your ride, you know, usually a Harley, uh, for on stage for the tube show and and we and so over and over again we would get these giant hog harleys you know and <laughs> and just ride it right onto the stage and uh and then you know do the number and i would be you know uh, you know like a motorcycle jacket and and she would be all dressed in black leather and we would do the tune and big big hit it was a big hit that was awesome and, and it got first first you know it you know finally they said little by little the whole, the whole thing you know got shot down uh fi- you know they said oh you know if we, we 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 had a we had a backup uh we we um, <laughs> we we if we you know to to, to cover us in case we couldn't get a motorcycle, uh-huh. we had a, um, 
a frame, a, a fake, a fake motorcycle. We had like a, okay. uh, a motorcycle frame with no engine in it. And we kind of built in it, you know, a fake looking engine out of like coffee cans or something <laughs> and sprayed it black. And we would have Mike Cotton, the synthesizer player came up with like a, a motorcycle s- synthesized sound and he would run, run, they would, you know, he would put it in the sound system and they would like, push me on from the side of the stage and I'd kind of roll into the stage and stop. And, uh, so you guys uh, would go to from down to town, not knowing if you'd have a motorcycle or not. Right. Not, well, we couldn't carry a, a, a Harley in the bus. And, yeah, I guess that's and, right. And that's what, and, and so we had this fake one to use if we couldn't get one, but mostly, most of the time we got one and, and then they, they said, Oh no, you can't, uh, you know, you can't, have a uh, gasoline combustion engine on the stage. Uh, you couldn't do that anymore, and uh, and that was the same. We used to carry a uh, we used to carry a chainsaw, you know. So I uh, a, a, a real chainsaw because I would do the the punk number, you know, I'd do Johnny Bugger, and yeah, you, uh, I was a punk before you and Sar standing there are punk songs, and I would swing a chainsaw around. Uh, a real chainsaw. I, you know, I took the blade off. Right. So yeah. Right. Cut my leg off <laughs> and swing it around. And, and of course, you know, uh, they, they wouldn't let you use that either. Oh, cause those are gas powered. They're yeah. gas. Right. <laughs> and, and you, you know, you can't really, can't really very well use an electric one. They could, the whole kind of, <laughs> the whole effect is gone, isn't it? Right. The smoking yeah. and the noise <laughs> and the danger. And I guess it was a fire hazard if you look back on it. <laughs> well, I, one time, I, I guess it was. One time we were in Atlanta. This was in the you know, early 70s. We were playing Alex Cooley's Electric Ballroom in Atlanta, which was a famous club. Yeah. And, uh, uh, downtown Atlanta and I was doing the chainsaw and the cap of the gas compartment came off and so I was swinging it around <laughs> and gas just spewing gas everywhere all over the band and the gear and the front row and just oh my god hey man that's rock and roll <laughs> I know and that's great that's Fee Waybill from the Tubes I don't I can't remember ever seeing the Tubes I saw them open once for Utopia, and they and part, I, West, part West, part West. No, and we we drove to Illinois State. It was when we were still in college. Okay. I went there with our buddy Mike Medina, okay. and Brent, I think, a couple of our our pals. We drove over there. Uh, you don't. And, what am I chuffed? What am I well, liverwurst? What? You didn't care. Okay. You didn't care yeah, about right. going. But I'll never forget what Phoebe Abel did, and I was trying to figure out a way to ask him about yeah. this in the interview. I never actually did. He came out on stage and said, uh, hey, go Illini. <laughs> and the crowd was like, boo. Because <laughs> he was at the wrong college. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Poor guy. Yeah. All right. So do we have any reviews yeah. of the show? LaRatio11 via Potable writes, Minutia Men is like the little pieces of Heath bars that are at a, that are, that are at a frozen yogurt bar. They make your day just a little bit better. Wow. That's yeah, poetry. You know a little, you know, the little, yeah, the little Heath bar pieces. That's poetry. Yeah. Wait, listen, if not you the look, sprinkles, but the Heath bar. Well, that's all right. Yeah. They're no, chunkier. I, they're chunkier. Yeah, that's well, better than sprinkles. I'd, I'd read, yeah. 
Uh, if you like Minutia Men, uh, be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. You can pick out your favorite new show at opishows.com. Remember, opi is hippo backwards, O-P-P-I-H-O's.com. We still have more. Oh, yeah. There's still more. Mm-hmm. Some studio walls. We're going to go back to Starsky and Hutch. We've got a Cubs moment mm-hmm. that I think you'll really enjoy and so much more, but you'll have to stick around because it's after this. All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to? Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. And that's on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Free Kicks, a Tony Lasano podcast, an Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we're back. All right, so another, uh, another interview that would have come up this week... Uh, is because of Paul Michael Glazer, who played Starsky. Mm-hmm. Starsky celebrated a birthday March mm-hmm. 25th. Is he 80? No. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how old he is. He probably wouldn't want to saying anyway. But uh, <laughs> You can look up on Wikipedia. Yeah, so it's, it's there. Uh-huh. It's out there. Uh, happy birthday to Starsky. And I, we totally geeked out oh, on Oh, my him. God, yeah. I think he enjoyed that interview because we well, were pathetic. Well, I think... If I remember correctly, this was when we were broadcasting from your mom's basement, wasn't it? Possibly. And you had still the books, the Starsky and Husk Touch. That's right. Like murder mystery books or whatever. That comes up in this clip. (laughs) If you would like to hear it, let's play some of that uh, interview from Paul Michael Glazer. (laughs) You guys were huge stars, obviously, you know, David David and, uh, and you. But probably, maybe not quite as big of a star, that car, the Grand, the Ford Grand Torino. I mean, I was a, I don't know, I was like 12 years old yeah. at the time. And I was just like, man, that car is that so red awesome. Car with the with the white stripe right, on yeah. it. It and was it, the coolest thing. You broke a few traffic laws, too, if I remember correctly, <laughs> while you were driving. Did you, ever, what, did you ever get to really drive the car? I mean, it looked like you did. I did, I, I did a fair amount of the driving. Uh, Charlie Paterni, who was our stunt coordinator, uh, you know, uh, filled me in on what I couldn't do and told, you know, taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of the driving. Uh, <laughs> David was a little beside himself sometimes because, uh, you know, we were on a, we had a bench seat. We didn't have bucket seats. Oh, oh really? And so, <laughs> right. So if I took a hard left, hard right turn. He's in your lap, right? <laughs> lap. <laughs> well, it was good that you're close then, right? You got a good working relationship. You know, I, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you how big of a fan I was of this show. That I not only watch the show in German every week, I bought the books. Do you remember this? They were Starsky and Hutch books, which were like PG-13 novelized versions of episodes of the show, I guess. And one year, I, do you remember those? Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> See, this is something. Well, Rick still has them in his yeah. mom's basement. He'll, I do. Say, he'll send them to you. I do. You probably got no money from that either. But anyway, one year I that tried. Would be correct. <laughs> I tried to submit one of those as a as like a book report in junior high, and the and the teacher said. 
that it did not qualify as literature. <laughs> that pitch. <laughs> so maybe you weren't missing anything by not reading the books. But I enjoyed them well, when I was 13. Well, I still yeah. see, you know, when we go to like a, a garage sale or whatever, a Starsky and Husk, Hutch uh you know, lunchbox or something, or, you know, it's, there was the merchandise, there was a ton of stuff out there. Yeah, there was a lot of merchandise going on, um, which is what they do, yeah. you know, and at that time, you know, there was only three networks. Right. So, uh, did so you get a piece of, did you get a piece of any of that? Well, let's say I took the producers to court after the first uh-huh. year because they were playing their games and, um, I, uh, uh, you know, subsequently, uh, I, 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 I didn't do too well. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I think we, yeah. we owe it to yeah, send these books to you. Then, yeah. I think. And we did. Didn't I we? think I think yeah. we did. Yeah. We sent him. Uh, we sent him the book. That's uh, Paul Michael Glazer Starsky. Happy birthday mm-hmm. to him. All right. The final audio clip I have for you today, Dave. This goes back. To March 25th, 1955. Wow, even before our birth. Yeah, 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 right. Eight years before we were born. A very young Ernie Banks. This is the first interview I ever could find of him. And you can hear how green he is Mm -hmm. when he's talking to uh, this uh, announcer. The announcer's name, I don't remember this announcer at all, is Bert Wilson. Do you have any memory no, of that? No, no, no. Right. So maybe if you're around from the, in the 50s, you know who this is. Burt Wilson interviewing a very young Ernie Banks. Hello again, baseball fans. This is Burt Wilson, the radio voice of the Chicago Cubs from the spring training camp in Mesa, Arizona. And today we're going to talk to Bingo. In other words, that's that famous Bingo to Bango to Bilko or Fondy double play combination. And I'm speaking of Ernie Banks, the great rookie shortstop of the Chicago Cubs, or he was a rookie last year. Ernie, you look like you're ready to go for 1955. Yeah, already, Bert. I understand that you might have gone to the New York Yankees or the Chicago White Sox, but Wood Matthews kept uh, after somebody and got you in the Chicago Cub organization. Well, well, Bert, I think it's a fine organization, and uh, I really like playing with the Cubs. You're only 23 years old, and last year was your first year in professional baseball. So it looks like you're going to have a long and glorious career, uh, Ernie. Last year you hit 275, which uh, only two other shortstops outhit you last year. And I think uh, it's amazing to me how you get so much power out there, Ernie. Uh, You don't use a lot of real swing around. It's that wrist action that does it, I guess. Is that natural, that wrist action? Yeah, I guess I just natural. I just swing that way and... And I guess I just try to meet the ball. Now, that is such an awesome interview for for a couple of reasons. One, you can hear the panic in Burke Wilson's voice. Right. He's like, He's oh like okay, God. this one's going. I've got right. five minutes to fill. Yeah, yeah, How the hell am yeah. I going to do this? Yeah, yeah. And the, the second thing is Ernie ended up being this media uh, friendly. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, let's play too. You know, yeah, the whole thing. He's beloved because of his personality, yeah. as much as his uh, baseball sure. ability, Mister Cub. Yeah, in 1955, uh, not there was so nothing. Yeah. There was nothing there at all. So you know the story. The day he died, right? Yeah. Um. So I was out with Dane. Okay. And we were just we were I don't know, just oh yeah we were drinking at a bar Dane and the, and then well Dane got a phone call from. Like a paramedic. And we're talking about Dane Placco, right. our, our Fox friend, 32. Uh, yes. And Dane, I can't remember. I think he got a, he was one, literally one of the first people, maybe even the first media guy who knew. And it was from, he had like a contact in the, para, you know, the, the paramedic 
industry. Because yeah. if you're a news guy, the paramedic guy is probably yeah. a pretty good one to have. Right. And someone called me and was like, look, we have just been called to Ernie Banks's condo. And, you know, things are not looking. He's in the bottom of the ninth inning, you yeah. know. And, uh, and Dane, and within, and so we're at the bar. And then, I don't know, 40 minutes later, all the news channel. And I think Dane called whomever. He would, called me. He called me because I was at the train station and the phone rang and it was Dane telling so, me yeah, this terrible right. news. Yeah. Well, that's a bummer. All right. Yeah. We, we have time for one more feature. We call this this. A random name pulled out of Rurik's bowl of brushes with celebrities. Mixture. Collection. Selection. Assemblage. Medley. Assortment. Variety. Time now for Celebrity Potpourri with Rick and Dave. So now this uh, this feature has morphed, as we've discussed. People are sending in their uh, their stories mm-hmm. about celebrities, their brushes with celebrity. Mm-hmm. Both you and I now have both been approached by right by people right. telling us stories in real life. Right. Uh, tell us your story. So this is from Tracy R. She did not want me to use her last night. Okay. Okay. So Tracy R. writes: When I lived in L.A., I went to the same dentist as Woody Harrelson. Evidently, we were on the same cleaning schedule because I saw him there all the time. In fact, we had a little running joke when we saw each other. Isn't and that, that's, that's awesome. Good. All right. Woody Harrelson, Academy Award nominee. Uh, speaking of uh, the Academy Awards, Dave, yeah. Oscar, Oscar special. Yeah, yeah, Oscar's Biggest Mistake is a book that from Eric Litt that we were very happy to publish, and he's going to be talking to us about Oscar. Yeah, he's our guest. And, and if you want to hear from a movie nerd mm-hmm. someone who just loves the movies right. almost a little too much a lot more than you love the movies <laughs> a lot more than anyone you've ever met loves the right, movies right. he loves the right. movies right if i didn't know that he had kids i would have asked him, have you do you date you know because he's that nerdy about it but but it's a great book yeah. and it's a fun interview yeah. check it out minutia men celebrity interview and you can always comment on our minutia men instagram page mm-hmm. don't ask me how many i'm mm-hmm. not going to tell you mm-hmm. minutia men official it's called follow that page we just started it uh, not too long ago you can also contact us on twitter at minutia men mm-hmm. dave is our uh twitter commando mm-hmm. i've been kind of falling a little bit yeah yeah i, I, I gotta start to talk to yeah, you about i gotta that. start you can also that. email us at minutiamanpodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our publishing company at Cards Press. Follow along with 40 years of Rick and Dave. Go to my blog, rickkemfer.blogspot.com, and there's an email link there, too. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tony Lasano with Opie Shows. Opie is Hippo. Hippo. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're distributed by Ed Silla with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. Just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with a brand new episode of Minutia Men. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? What do you get when you hear a celebrity Minutia Men interview, Dave? Rick, think of Dan Rather and Bill Maher having a kid. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. So you'll get Minutia. Right. What does a Damone from Fast Times and Ridge on high really think about the movie only right? one place to find out and that's celebrity minutiaman interview a tony lasano podcast go to opishows.com or wherever you find podcasts just search for radio misfits